Good morning. It is so good to be here with you all today. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Our scripture passage today begins with the words, then he went home. And it begs the question, where was Jesus and what was he doing before he went home? According to Mark, Jesus had recently cured a man with the withered hand in the temple on the Sabbath, left for the sea where many followed him from Galilee. There were great numbers of people from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and the region around Tyre and Sidon, continuing to follow him because they had heard of the miracles he was performing. There were so many people that he had the disciples get him a boat so that he wouldn't be crushed by the crowd. He cured a bunch of people and cast out unclean spirits and declared that he was the Son of God. He went up on a mountain where many followed, and that is where, according to Mark, the twelve were appointed and sent out to proclaim the good news and to cast out demons. So let's pick up Mark's narrative there as we read from chapter 3, beginning with the end of the 19th verse. And as I read these words, won't you listen for God's word for you today? Then he went home, and the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for the people were saying, he's gone out of his mind. And the scribes came down from Jerusalem and said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons, he casts out demons. So Jesus called them to him and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan rises up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first being, first tying up the strong man. Then indeed the house can be plundered. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. No wonder Jesus went home. He had to be tired, except there was no rest because the crowd appeared at his home, even preventing him from eating. Now, the family's solution was to go and restrain him because the crowd was saying that Jesus had lost his mind. Now, maybe they did so out of fear for his safety, or maybe it was out of embarrassment and concern for the family's reputation. Maybe they even were agreeing, if only momentarily, that Jesus had lost his mind. We simply don't know. And then the scribes from Jerusalem appear, responding out of hostility and rejecting Jesus' message, saying to whomever will listen that Jesus has Beelzebub, meaning that Jesus is himself possessed by Satan, and it is because of this that he can cast out demons. Jesus responds to those scribes and all who would listen 
and spoke to them in what our text calls parables. Jesus very concisely talks about a kingdom and a house being divided against itself and how if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. There's a lot going on here. Crowds continue to gather, preventing him from even being able to get some food and some much needed rest. Our text mentions Beelzebub, which is commonly interpreted to mean the prince of demons or devil or Satan. If you do a literal translation of this, one of the meanings is the Lord of the Flies. And at one point in one draft of this sermon, I tried using the Lord of the Flies book as a means, as an illustration, and I, well, that rabbit hole just didn't work. Now, I have to admit that I'm not always comfortable when Scripture refers to Satan. While I believe there is significant power of evil in the world, I do not believe in Satan, the devil. Let me explain. Christians simply do not believe in the devil and demons, personally or otherwise. To believe in means to trust, rely on, serve, obey, find meaning in one's whole existence in relation to the object of belief. As Christians, we do not trust, rely on, serve, obey, or find meaning in our existence through Satan. Christians believe in God and only in God. Now, having said that, Christians cannot affirm faith in God without saying something about the powers of evil. The powers of darkness are part of the Christian confession of faith as that which is to be excluded and denied. The devil and demons are by definition those powers which Jesus has already decisively opposed and defeated. In short, to believe in the devil, Satan, whatever name you wish to give it, is to participate in a polytheistic religion. And Christianity certainly, most assuredly, is not that. We believe in one God, not two opposing gods. Jesus affirms the belief in God through a pesky, provocatively brief parable about a kingdom and about a house being divided against itself and about needing to tie up a strong man first before one can plunder his property. Jesus begins with that rhetorical question, how can Satan cast out Satan? How can evil cast out evil? He follows that with three proverb-like statements that drive home the point that no country, no house or evil can survive when it's divided against itself, or to put it another way, destroying itself from within. Jesus is offering a logical argument that for evil to work against itself would weaken its own power 
and that would be pointless. There were many issues in Jesus' time to divide believers. Obedience to Roman law versus Judaic law is just one example. Jesus said he was the son of God, and that was a shocking statement, considered by many to be blasphemous. What will become the Christian faith is pulling people away from the Judaic tradition, but Jesus' intent was not to divide or create factions. He was leading God's people to an inclusive shift in beliefs, and the backlash was monumental. He was warning about the dangers that could and would divide. He was calling for a change in the status quo. He knew the risks and he knew the solution. A house divided must be strengthened through understanding and including diverse elements and even radical thinking. Lincoln paraphrased our scripture today in a speech as he was securing the Republican nomination for his eventual unsuccessful bid for the U.S. Senate seat that was held by Stephen Douglas in 1858. He said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Of course, the subject was the issue of slavery that did indeed eventually divide the country. But in referring to this passage, Lincoln was referring to a universal truth. Lincoln recognized the importance of the concept of the destructiveness of unresolved issues. He used a piece of scripture, a piece of scripture that we should all write on our hearts, particularly around issues that seek to divide us. And there are so many divides that surround us today as a nation, we are divided into red and blue states, liberal, conservative, Christian, non-Christian, those who believe in climate change, those who don't, those who vaccinate, those who oppose vaccinations, the desi <clears throat> those desiring unlimited access to guns, and those advocating for gun control. And all these issues and more seem to come with a political twist, well, if you're for this, I'm against it. The result is the most uncivil of disagreements on public display with juvenile name-calling just one indicator of the descent into the abyss. Families and friendships have suffered greatly in this environment. The inability to even listen to someone with an opposing opinion results in a lack of true dialogue and seeking meaningful resolution to the issue at hand. If our founding fathers had acted like this, we'd still be waiting for the Declaration of Independence to be published. Churches are not exempt from divisiveness. Churches and denominations are splitting, dissolving over a myriad of issues. As an example, the United Methodists have made the news lately over theological interpretation as it relates to the LGBTQ community. More than 6,000 congregations in this country, one-fifth of the U.S. total, are leaving the denomination. 
Our own denomination has a, a history related to social issues which created schisms such as happened around slavery. The divide over slavery in our denomination that separated the North and South Church was not healed until over 100 years after the end of the Civil War. I recall when I was an elder decades ago when churches in our own presbytery left over the ordination, are you ready for this, of women. Can you imagine how much poorer we would be as a congregation without the wonderful faith-filled female pastors of which Pastor Kelsey is just the latest who have served this congregation so admirably? What would we be, who would we be if we had not heard their voices? Although Jesus designed the church for unity, Paul witnessed a lot of false teachings, jealousy, pride, and sin as he ministered to the early church. Today, there are seemingly countless examples of churches whose members disagree about major or even minor issues causing their local church to fall apart. And in that, there is a cautionary tale. We need to remember that we are members of God's church, which is based on the unity of the Trinity. When we fight among ourselves in church, we weaken the church. If we fight within our family, we weaken our family. If we fight with our friends, we weaken our friendships. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have spirited conversations over strong convictions, ideas, beliefs, even theological issues, not at all. But when we fail to allow for civil, reasoned conversation, and here's a key, with honest listening, wishing to learn from the other side, and being willing to move maybe even a little toward the other side, we run the risk of being that people, that family, that nation, that church that cannot stand. Despite all this, there are words from Scripture that bring me hope and comfort. As I said in the wake of the shooting last February at Michigan State, the words of Jesus from Matthew 11 are most inspiring. Come to me, all of you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When our burden becomes too great, the great physician is there for us offering a healthy dose of healing and grace. Through prayer, we can give our confusion, fatigue, frustrations, sadness, anger, even issues that divide us to Christ. And it helps. I know I'm changing. 
It's my belief that the change in me is Jesus pushing me to somehow, some way that I don't realize yet, make a small difference in this seemingly ever-widening cultural divide in which we are enveloped. Perhaps that's why I, was, I felt compelled to choose this particular parable for today and to give this sermon. Jesus said, if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Something must change so that all our houses are no longer divided. Why can't it begin right here, right now, through this congregation? Amen.